As we continue our sermon series from Romans today, we come to a passage of Scripture that I would call Paul's Sermon on the Mount because it seems to be reflective of Jesus' own words that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, last week we talked about how Paul reminded the church and the Christians in Rome that life is not a competition, that God has called each of us collectively as individuals to use our gifts together to serve the body of Christ and to give the glory to God. Our passage today follows this and is a list of 23 different exhortations that encourage the church to walk in the ways of Jesus together. Paul begins by saying this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Essentially, Paul is building upon what he has already said previously, not to compete with one another, instead to love one another. Now, this love must be sincere, but it could be better translated as not being hypocritical. This love, this word for love, agape, the Greek word for Jesus' love for us, God's love for us, an unconditional love, is what Paul is speaking about here. And he's telling the church to love one another no matter what. So it's not a superficial love that's dependent upon getting our own way. Now this is foundational for the church because it displays God's love, God's actions towards us. And upon this foundation of love, the church is to live in ways that express this love towards one another. Hating evil, clinging to what is good, devotion to one another, honoring one another above ourselves, being zealous for the Lord together, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in our prayer life, and to be hospitable sharing with those who are in need. Once again, Paul is encouraging the church to be set apart, to be different from the rest of the world. The world. You see, the Greek word for church in Greek is ekklesia, which literally means to be called out. The church is called out by God to stand out, to be different, to show a different way of living together. Yet too often the church can mimic the ways of the world, being influenced by the culture around us rather than being an influence on the culture that we live in. The church focuses on competition with one another or even with those outside the church. We look no different than the rest of the world. Now, Francis Chan, a, an author of a number of best-selling books and the former pastor of Cornerstone Community Church in Simi Valley, California, he tells a true story about an ex-gang member who got baptized in his church. Now, this gang member fell in love with Jesus and he turned away from his old lifestyle. But after several months of attending church there, he stopped attending a church altogether. And when he was asked by his pastor why he stopped coming, he told him this. He said, I had the wrong idea of what church was going to be like. 
when I joined the church, I thought it was going to be just like joining a gang. You see, in the gangs, we weren't just nice to each other once a week. We were family. Now, it's pretty amazing. This, this man expected that the church was intended to be, that the church was intended to be a family, just like his gang, an adopted family of faith, of nurture, of love, of concern, of care, of support. But that is not what he experienced as he began to be there with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to think that the church can provide way more than what a gang can provide. But as I said before, sometimes the church fails at standing out against the gangs or even the secular groups we find within our societies. We can mimic the world around us instead of the Christ who lived, died, and rose for us. Yet, the biggest difference between the church and a gang is what Paul addresses next. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It appears now that Paul is shifting his focus from how one is supposed to live within the church family to how we're to live with those who are on the outside. However, it's also true that these same principles apply within the church when we experience conflict or discord with one another. Yet persecution, in terms of our faith, often happens from those who reject the ways of Jesus, those who refuse to believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And just to be clear, gangs do not bless rival gangs. They inflict violence against them. In fact, they either initiate conflict or retaliate when a wrong has been committed against them. But we know that it's not just gangs that retaliate or repay evil for evil. The truth is, is that you and I are sinful human beings, and when someone wrongs us, it's absolutely natural for us to defend ourselves and to respond. So we trade insults for insults, injury for injury. Sometimes we take a jab, and instead of jabbing back, we throw a hard punch to send a message. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all experienced opposition in our lives, a moment where someone has either said something or done something hurtful that has offended us. And the question becomes, how did you respond to it? Did you fight back? Did you get even? Did you make that person look like a fool in front of others? Did you fight fire with fire? You see, good Christian people can allow their sinful instincts to get the best of them just as easily as anyone else. 
You see, our faith in Jesus together doesn't give us immunity to the virus of evil that can infect our hearts and lead us to do things that do not reflect the ways of Christ. We may even try to justify our actions in retaliation because someone else started it. But that's not consistent with the ways of Christ. In fact, Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now let's be honest with ourselves for just a moment. Who really wants to love their enemies? I mean, we may want to pray for them, but not in the way that Jesus asks us to. We often pray for God to right the wrongs, to teach them a lesson, to unleash his wrath upon them. No, we do not want to pray for their well-being. We want justice served, for God to make the wrongs right against us by punishing them. I mean, God is a God of justice, right? That's what we want. That's what we pray for. So in some ways, it's much easier for us to dismiss this part of Jesus' sermon or to act like we've never heard it before. But Paul won't allow us to go there. He takes Jesus' words and then he adds on to them. He tells us that we're not only to refrain from retaliating, but that we are also to bless those who persecute us. We're to seek peace with one another, not repaying evil for evil, but going the extra mile, doing good to those who inflict harm towards us. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. That's very different from just practicing self-restraint. Now, let's think about this for just a moment. This is nothing other than being gracious, right? granting undeserved favor. We have said that grace is a gift from God, that we cannot earn it or we cannot compete for it. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Once again, Paul is urging the church to radically be different from the rest of the world, to live in the gracious ways of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, if you think about the life of Jesus, you will, you will find in the gospel accounts that Jesus had many enemies during his life and ministry on earth. In fact, he still has many enemies to this day. We know that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were his biggest adversaries. They seem to always be looking for a way to trap him or to make him look like a fraud in front of those he taught. And despite all that Jesus said and did, Jesus never condemned them. He rebuked them at times with the truth, but he never retaliated or sought to bring harm towards them. 
In fact, he graciously taught them just as he taught everyone else, but they refused to listen and to believe his message. And Jesus' own disciple, Judas, betrayed him, selling him out for 30 silver coins to the Pharisees who wanted to have him killed. Jesus already knew what Judas was going to do before he ever did it. And yet he still included him in the grace of the Passover meal, the Last Supper, what we call and celebrate together as communion. And when Judas, along with some Roman soldiers and officials of the high priest, came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter drew out his sword and he struck the right ear of one of the servant, the high priest's servants um, and, and cut it completely off. His name was Malchus. And when he did this, Luke tells us, but Jesus answered, no more of this. And it says, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus extended grace and healing to the man who came to condemn him. Can you imagine how Malchus must have felt when Jesus, his enemy, reached out his hands and healed his ear? And even as Jesus was being tried, beaten, mocked, and crucified, he never retaliated or sought to get revenge. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23 tells us this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You and I know that Jesus extended his grace on the cross. We know it most clearly when Jesus cried out to God saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. All throughout his ministry, Jesus extends grace even to his enemies because his love is an agape love. It's unconditional. His grace is beyond measure and there is no sin too great that cannot be covered by it. That is the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, but he also commands us to follow him, which means that he expects for his church to be different, to also extend the same grace even to those that we consider to be our enemies, even to those that we find the hardest to love. You see, love must be sincere, not hypocritical, but sincere, not just inside the church where it's easy to love those who love us, but also outside of the church where we experience some who can just downright be a thorn in our flesh. Maybe it's a pesky neighbor who always finds something to complain about. Maybe it's an ex-husband or an ex-wife who intentionally treats you badly or makes your life difficult. Maybe it's a family member who is jealous of you or who refuses to forgive or seek reconciliation with you. Maybe it's a coworker who refuses to be nice. Maybe it's a politician who you absolutely abhor. Maybe it's a friend who has betrayed you and ruined your friendship. I don't know who your enemy is. 
that person that is so hard to love, much less to pray for God's blessing to be upon them, but you do. And so does God. And I can assure you one thing, getting even and harboring anger will not solve that problem. I mean, does hatred really do any good at all? And I say this not to minimize your hurt nor to justify their actions, but it's not our place to take justice into our own hands. Instead, we are called by Jesus and by Paul to love our enemies, to be radically different from the rest of the world. We're called to be a light shining in the darkness, hope in the midst of despair, a blessing amongst the curses, not to somehow provide a utopian society, but to live into and to extend the grace of the kingdom of God. We are called to be grace extenders just like Jesus. If your enemy is hungry or thirsty, You're supposed to feed them and provide them with water. But let me be clear to you this day. The food and the water that you are providing is not simply a meal to ease their hunger pains. No, you are called to share the living bread and the living water of life, Jesus the Christ, in the ways in which you treat those who oppose you. And you and I can only do this by acknowledging the grace that you and I have received from Christ himself, a grace that you and I do not deserve, a grace that is ultimately a gift. The truth is we too were once enemies of God, but we've been engrafted into the family of faith by grace through faith. Therefore, you and I are called to respond differently to have a new perspective that leads us to share and bear witness to the radical love of Jesus, even in the face of persecution. In fact, Paul says that in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his or her head. This doesn't mean that we're inflicting pain on someone. It means that our actions that are sincere, our actions of love and of grace will lead our enemies to feel shame for the ways in which they have acted towards us. Judas regretted what he had done after he did it. And he went back to those that he had made a deal with and he threw those coins back at them. A Roman centurion that administered Jesus' death on that day declared when when Jesus died that truly this man was the son of God. You see, our actions are meant to lead our enemies to repentance and ultimately to receive the same grace of Jesus so that they too might be transformed. But this will never happen if we don't take our call seriously to imitate the grace and the love of God to those we struggle to love. And I have to be honest with you, it is not easy to do but it's important for you to know that it wasn't easy for Jesus either. Yes, our love must be sincere. It must be the love of Jesus that wells up within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we ask God for help to love our enemies as he loves them, then I can assure you that you will not be overcome with evil, but that you will overcome evil with good only God is good 
and he's the only one who's already overcome evil. So friends, my prayer for all of us this day, Paul's prayer for the church, God's prayer for each and every one of us, is that you and I might be instruments of his love and of his grace to one another and even to those who oppose us. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.